Crypto Podcast family, I'm regularly surprised by some of the internal strength, some of that internal fortitude that our high-risk OB population just have in light of all the things that they go through. I mean, we do have a high-risk OB population, and we have a large volume of adolescent pregnant patients. Well, just this week on call, I readmitted a patient who delivered seven days prior to this admission. Of course, during labor, she developed intramniotic infection, which led to postpartum hemorrhage. She got three units of blood. Well, she finally went home, all to come back on day seven post-op with a deep incisional SSI. I mean, it was bad. It was draining. It had a little bit of separation. But you know, this 19-year-old, even though she was sad and scared, she found this internal fortitude to say, I've got to get through this. I know it's going to be fine. And I've got to get home to be with my child. 19. And that was very inspiring to me. And I was just encouraged by her. And I told her, wow, at 19, you've got this strength inside you that older adults don't have. But that led to this next clinical question. So I was with one of my medical students and the medical student said, wow, you know, I I just feel so bad. I mean, it looks terrible. Um, You think this could have been prevented if we had put a negative pressure wound therapy device on her? That's a great question. See, don't we have great medical students? And that led to this whole discussion on negative pressure wound therapy devices because there is an answer regarding their use at C-section. So in this episode, I'm going to tackle the somewhat... uh, controversial issue of negative pressure wound therapy devices at C-section because the data is kind of scattered everywhere, but we're going to make sense of it right here in this episode. Ready? Let's cover negative pressure wound devices at C-section. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Cesarean delivery is the most common major surgical procedure among women in the U.S. and in the entire world. While advances have been made in infection control practices like improved operating room ventilation, sterilization methods and barriers and surgical techniques, and availability of antimicrobial prophylaxis, surgical site infections remain a substantial cause of morbidity, prolonged hospitalization, and even patient death. It's reported by the CDC that surgical site infections, or SSIs, can account for up to 20% of all hospital-acquired infections, and that's associated with a 2 to 11-fold increase in the risk of mortality, with 75% of SSI-associated deaths directly attributed to the SSI itself. Those are terrible numbers. Surgical site infections, or SSI, is one of the most common complications following C-section, and it has an incidence of anywhere from 3% up to 20%. It places physical and emotional burdens on the mother and a significant financial burden to the healthcare system. One potential solution is the use of negative pressure wound therapy devices. Prophylactic negative pressure wound therapy with a closed and portable single-use battery-operated system has been cleared by the U.S. Food Administration for prophylactic application after wound closure at the time of surgery. Negative pressure wound therapy, also called vacuum-assisted wound closure, refers to wound dressing systems that continuously or intermittently apply this negative subatmospheric pressure to the system that then provides positive pressure to the surface of the wound. 
These have been shown to have success with diabetic ulcers and in acute and chronic wounds. These negative pressure wound therapy devices accelerate wound healing by the four natural stages of the wound healing process. Remember, those are hemostasis, inflammation, proliferation, and remodeling. All right, so these devices have this dressing and tubing associated with it, right? Well, you can change those every 48 to 120 hours, in other words, every two to five days, and that depends on the clinical situation. The negative pressure wound therapy devices have become very popular treatment modalities for the management of many acute and chronic wounds, but their use with primary surgical incisions have resulted in conflicting success rates. Although these devices are increasingly being used after C-section, evidence of their effectiveness has been limited to retrospective cohort studies and very small randomized trials. Plus, remember that their success rates to prevent wound complications really does primarily hinge on the type of surgery that they're used with. A 2019 Cochrane review of prophylactic negative pressure wound therapy devices concluded that there just needed to be larger, well-designed, and well-conducted trials to evaluate whether or not these negative pressure systems work well on closed primary surgical incisions. Well, we've got new data since 2019, specifically surrounding C-section. All right, podcast family, so that's our charge. That's our question. We're going to figure out whether these negative pressure wound therapy devices really do help prevent wound complications at C-section. And as all things in medicine, sometimes beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I'm going to tell you what that means coming up right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, before we get into the data about these devices at time of C-section, I think it's very important for us to review SSIs really quickly, all right? Because we have to remember that some things are tracked while others are not. And then we have to review, well, how do you even define an SSI? Because it has to meet very specific criteria that's set out by the CDC. And cellulitis by itself is not an SSI. Okay, so that throws you off a little bit. I'm going to explain that in just a minute because it's cellulitis plus other things that make the definition of an SSI, but not cellulitis by itself. But first, let's get into these things that are tracked because every hospital, whether outpatient or inpatient, tracks certain infections really for patient safety. Nationally, all surgical procedures are followed for a new diagnosis of SSI complication. The surveillance is determined by the NHSN. The NHSN is the National Healthcare Safety Network. Some procedures are tracked for 30 days and some are tracked for 90 days. The ones that are tracked for 30 days mainly have to do with our kind of surgery like C-section or hysterectomy. And the ones that are tracked for 90 days for possible SSI new development are things that have implantable devices put in. That includes things like breast implants or cardiac surgery, pacemakers, or even some surgical shunts. Those are followed for 90 days. But in general, for C-sections and hysterectomy, and most things OBGYN, the surveillance interval for SSI, including readmissions, is a 30-day window. 
Also remember that the risk for SSI is based on a lot of factors. So it's not like, oh, negative wound pressure device A, but not negative wound pressure device B prevents all cases of SSI. I mean, that's just not true. Nothing's like that because there's so many factors that go into the patient's risk for developing a surgical site infection. I mean, there's a patient's BMI, the patient's nutritional status, whether there's excessive blood loss, surgical site contamination, the lack of appropriate antibiotic coverage, the length of the surgery, and even the type of skin closure performed, all of those things, they all contribute to the patient's risk of SSI. Now, as we've touched on already, one of the big factors, one of the non-modifiable things that determines a patient's risk of SSI is the kind of surgery that's being done, right? I mean, we're already kind of behind the ball with OBGYN because we operate in a clean, contaminated field. I mean, we're in the vagina or the bladder and that kind of area, and that's not a sterile surgery. That's why the CDC came up with a categorization of surgical incisions to try to risk stratify which patients are at higher risk of getting an SSI. Remember that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have a four-tier type of classification based on the kind of surgery that's being done. Now, these are the four types of surgical incisions. Type 1 is clean. Type 2 is clean contaminated. Type 3 is contaminated. And type 4 is a frankly dirty wound. So us in OBGYN or Women's Health, including C-sections and hysterectomies, or all GU surgeries for that matter, fit into the class 2 incision class. Class 1 incision are things like uh, an ovarian cystectomy done by laparoscopy or diagnostic laparoscopy that doesn't involve the GU tract. So there's clean, those are really more sterile surgeries. And then our class 2, which is where we live, which are clean contaminated. Again, so we already are kind of behind the ball because C-sections, as much as we prep and we, we get surgical draped and prepped ourselves, they're not sterile surgeries. They're clean contaminated. I love to ask my medical students and the residents those questions because it's things that they're in the back of their head, but they always forget. And they're good reminders that we're not in a sterile kind of surgery. Now, we take infection control very seriously, but we're already behind the ball because we're clean contaminated in a class two incision. So there's four types of surgical incisions. And there's three kinds of SSI. Let's talk about the three different types of incisional surgical site infection. It's very easy because it's either superficial incisional, deep incisional, or deep or organ space involvement. So let's get into what each one of those three means before we get into the whole issue and the data on whether the device actually prevents these or not. And we have to talk about these three classes, either superficial incisional, deep incisional or deep organ space involvement, because if not, we're not going to know what the data means, because the data is looking at whether it prevents either superficial incisional infections or deep incisional or wound breakdown, and that's all part of the CDC classification of surgical site infection. So let's cover the three types of surgical SSI right now. The first classification is the superficial incisional SSI. This involves the skin and the subcutaneous tissue. Remember, our time frame is from time of surgery up to 30 days post-event. The clinical features are periincisional pain or tenderness, localized periincisional swelling, and periincisional erythema or heat. The clinical criteria includes at least one clinical feature and at least one of the following, all right? So the clinical feature is you've got a red incision, it's tender, or it's got some heat to it, it's red, 
and there's purulent drainage from the superficial incision, or you actually culture an organism out of it, or the incision is opened by the surgeon or some other designated healthcare professional because of concern for superficial SSI. All right? So superficial SSI basically is cellulitis plus either drainage or a culture-positive organism, or somebody opens it because of concern for superficial SSI. Now, deep incisional SSI is just a little bit deeper than the superficial. Duh. The extent of tissue involvement is deep, tough tissue that includes the fascia and the muscle. So this is suprafascial, above the fascia. The important clinical feature here is that unlike the superficial incisional SSI, deep incisional typically has fever associated with it. In other words, greater than 38 degrees Celsius. The clinical criteria also is purulent discharge from the incision, just like with a superficial incisional SSI. But this deep incision either spontaneously dehisses or somebody opens it and then probes and the fascia is intact, all right? So superficial SSI is basically just underneath the skin edge, but still with some drainage. Deep incisional is including the subcutaneous tissue up to the muscle layer and still has purulent discharge, can have fever, and either spontaneously opens up, that's called a wound dehiscence, or the surgeon opens it up and finds that the infection pocket goes all the way down to the level of the fascia, but not deeper. And lastly, of course, there's organ space involvement of the SSI. That's any part of the body that's deeper than the fascia that's also infected. The clinical feature here is more of a sepsis picture. There's still fever, but now there's hypotension. There can be nausea and vomiting. And of course, there's more peritoneal signs or abdominal pain and tenderness. The clinical criteria is pretty much the same as for deep incisional SSI. That's drainage, an organism that's able to be cultured, or an abscess that's found inside the peritoneal cavity by some sort of imaging test. So remember that organ space involvement requires some kind of radiological imaging, whether that's ultrasound or MRI or CT scan. Man, that's a lot of background info just to get to this part. No, I think it's important because if I just go into the data on negative pressure wound therapy and go, oh, they found that there was less superficial SSI but not deep incisional SSI, then you're like, wait, which one was that? So we had to cover that. Trust me, I try not to give any kind of extraneous stuff in, the, in these podcast episodes. I try to get right to the point. But sometimes we've got to explain a little bit so that the results make sense. All right, now let's get on to our main message, which is the data on these devices at C-section. You see, podcast family, the reason it's important for us to review the three different categories of surgical site infection, SSI, is because some of the studies that are out there on these devices just say, yes, we reduced surgical site infection. It, it worked. But they don't define what they were looking for. You see, that's why I want you to, when you read one of these articles, to think about it critically and go, okay, SSI, that's superficial incisional, deep incisional, and then organ space. Which one are we talking about? That's why I like the first article that we're going to review here. Well, first of all, because I think Methodias Thule is a phenomenal physician, great researcher out of MFM, and I really trust his work. But they really went to great detail to really define what exactly they were looking for. In 2020, Thule et al. published in JAMA Network and RCT that sought to answer that question. I mean, do negative pressure wound therapy devices work at C-section? And to make sure he was getting a, a good high-risk population, he included obese gravitas. This was a multi-center randomized trial that was conducted from February 2017 through November 2019 at four academic and two community hospitals across the U.S. 
This was the first large, randomized, multi-site clinical trial in the U.S. studying the effects of these pumps on the risk of infection in women with obesity who had C-section. It was also the largest trial to that date of prophylactic negative pressure wound therapy in any surgical procedure. Pretty nice, huh? Obese women who were undergoing planned or unplanned C-section were eligible. The primary outcome was superficial or deep surgical site infection as defined by the CDC criteria that we just talked about. Secondary outcomes included other wound complications and a composite of surgical site infection and other wound complications. They also looked for any adverse skin reactions that happened because they used these pumps on the skin. In this randomized trial that included 1,608 obese women, there was no significant difference in the risk of surgical site infection after C-section with the use of these pumps. It was 3.6% when the pump was used versus standard wound dressing that was 3.4%. Patient satisfaction was high overall, but it was minimally higher at discharge when the negative pressure pump was on. In other words, they felt maybe a little bit better that, oh, at least it was covered and it was sucking out some excess fluid. But that satisfaction was no different at post-op day 30. The risk of adverse skin reactions was also significantly higher in the negative pressure group. Not surprisingly, the authors concluded, quote, These findings do not support the routine prophylactic use of negative pressure wound therapy in obese women after C-section, end quote. Yes, I know. It's just one study. I get that. I know that there's probably another study, because there is, because I found it, that shows that negative pressure wound therapy devices, yes, they do provide good protection against SSI and wound complication. I get that. But I chose this study specifically because it was very well designed. It was the largest trial out there, and it actually followed the CDC criteria for deep and superficial SSI. You see why we had to cover that? Because this one actually hit all of the boxes that was clinically solid and it was good evidence. Man, if only we had a systematic review and a meta-analysis to help us look at this so we can pool all the data together. Well, we do. <laughs> this systematic review and meta-analysis on this subject was published in January 2022 in BJOG. The title of this publication is, quote, The Effect of Negative Pressure Wound Therapy on Wound Complications in Obese Women After C-Section, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis, end quote. The lead author of this publication is Gillespie. Now, this is why I said at the beginning, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And it all has to do with this systematic review and their findings. Y'all ready? Because here we go. First of all, notice that the title states obese women after C-section. So just like Thule, this was in this high-risk population of women who were obese and had a C-section and then had a negative pressure wound device on. So that's good. This is in the right high-risk population. The authors included nine randomized controlled trials of negative pressure wound therapy compared with standard dressings after C-section. See, one of the big limitations with this systematic review is that there was a lot of heterogeneity in what was termed standard wound dressing. It wasn't unified. It wasn't standardized. Nonetheless, they found that the intervention, the negative pressure wound therapy devices, did reduce the risk of SSI compared with standard wound dressing at a rate of 1.7 versus 8.3%. That's a relative risk of 0.79. All right? Great. That gives us some information, so it reduces SSI, right? Okay, that's good. No, but wait a minute. There's more. It reduced the rate of SSI, but on sub-analysis, it did not reduce the rate of other wound complications like dehiscence, seroma, or bleeding, readmission, 
or reoperation, and it actually increased skin blistering. Yeah, the meta-analysis suggested a fourfold increase in the risk of blistering in the negative pressure wound therapy group. See, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So on one hand, hey, look, it reduced SSI rate from 8.3 to 1.7, but at the same time, it didn't reduce the rate of dehiscence, seroma, bleeding, readmission, or reoperation. Now, I didn't want to go there, but I'm going to go there anyway because it has to be said. Some of these trials also were industry-sponsored. That's not bad. I mean, I've done plenty of work for medical industry, and, and I get that. But it just has to be said, yes, some were industry-sponsored, and that may, of course, have some in- – now, I didn't want to go there, but I'm going to because it has to be said for transparency. Some of those trials were industry-sponsored, and that's not bad. I have to tell you I've done plenty of clinical trials for industry for medical device in the past – but it's just something to consider that adds to that limitation of this study and this meta-analysis. So these authors concluded, quote, Our results suggest that negative pressure wound therapy may be beneficial in reducing SSI in obese women after C-section. But there was no difference in the occurrence of other important wound complications like dehiscence, seroma, bleeding, or hematoma. Moreover, there's also the potential for harm given the increased risk of blistering surrounding its use. So clinicians should consider both the potential benefits and the limitations of choosing this expensive and more complex dressing, end quote. Not necessarily a huge endorsement for negative pressure wound therapy devices at C-section. Now, just to be very complete, I have to tell you that this systematic review and meta-analysis wasn't the only one. There was a previous one in the Green Journal that was published in November 2017, and the cited authors are Smead, Daughters, Cats, et al. The title of this systematic review and meta-analysis is just like the other one. It's Prophylactic Negative Pressure Wound Therapy for Obese Women After Cesarean Section, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. The objective, of course, was to summarize the available studies on wound complications after prophylactic negative pressure wound therapy for patients that had a BMI of 30 or more. Here's what the authors did. They conducted an electronic search of research articles from 1966 to 2017, and they included RCTs, prospective cohort, and even retrospective studies that focused on negative pressure wound therapy compared with standard dressing after C-section among obese women. The primary outcome was defined as a composite of wound complication, including wound or surgical site infection, cellulitis, seroma, hematoma, wound disruption, or dehiscence. There were 10 studies that ended up meeting eligibility criteria, and five of those were RCTs, and the other five were cohort studies. The problem was is that the cohort studies had a lot of heterogeneity that we've already talked about. All had very high potential for selection bias. In the meta-analysis, there was no difference in primary composite between those that had negative pressure wound therapy compared to standard dressing. So the authors concluded, quote, Currently, remember this is back in 2017, available evidence does not support negative pressure wound therapy among obese women for cesarean wound complication prevention, end quote. Interesting, huh? 
Before we get to the final statements, I do need to make an important clarification, okay? Remember, we're talking about negative pressure wound devices prophylactically at time of primary closure of an incision. For C-section, the data is just not there yet, all right? Maybe something's coming in the future, but right now, the overall data, the overall composite morbidity doesn't really seem to change whether we use it or not compared to standard surgical closure techniques. However, that does not mean that wound vacs don't have a place in medicine at all. That's not what I'm saying, because they absolutely do. They do fantastic jobs for diabetic ulcers, for uh, incisions that have opened and the acute infection has now resolved or has now been treated. Uh, they do a fantastic job to speed the healing process in acute and chronic uh, wounds. But I'm talking about them placed at time of primary section for prophylactic measures, all right? So we're talking about two different things here. The preventative approach, which at C-section right now, the data is just very weak, if there at all. And then the, the treatment side for established acute or chronic wounds, where the data is definitely there for benefit. All right? Just wanted to make that quick clarification. All right, podcast family, as we get ready to wrap this up, what are we supposed to do with this? I mean, what's our best approach here to prevent C-section wound complication? Well, as I mentioned before, it's not just one thing. It's a whole box load of things that we need to consider and not leave any of those off. For example, it's maintaining normal thermia for the patient having the appropriate use of antibiotic prophylaxis, prevention of surgical site contamination, and using an appropriate evidence-based closure of the skin. So let's talk about that for just a second. In the 2020 publication by Dalk et al. that was titled The Case for Standardizing C-Section Technique, end quote, that was published in the Green Journal, the authors took a look at the best skin closure technique to try to prevent wound complications. The authors found the following, quote, Previously, skin closure with either staples or subcuticular suture were recommended based on nine RCTs or systematic reviews. But since then, 19 RCTs and one systematic review have been performed addressing skin closure techniques. In a meta-analysis of 12 RCTs, subcuticular suture closure significantly reduced wound morbidity with no difference in pain, patient satisfaction, or cosmesis. In trials that included women with obesity, subcuticular suture was superior to staples. The authors go on to say, one trial demonstrated that monofilament suture reduced wound complications compared with multifilament suture. End quote. Now, notice that negative pressure wound therapy devices were not included in that summary or set of recommendations regarding skin closure technique. Now, ACOG really doesn't have a formal stance on this, but it's interesting that the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists does acknowledge that there's, quote, a lack of good quality evidence to recommend the routine use of negative wound pressure therapy for cesarean, end quote. And now our final thought, really our final question before we close this thing out. What about vaginal prep at C-section? And when we didn't talk about that, does vaginal prep at C-section reduce wound complications? Well, we definitely don't have time to get into that right now, but I see a future podcast episode coming up because that's a pretty spicy conversation there as well. We're going to leave that for next time.
All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. I wish we had one magic bullet that helped us reduce surgical site infections, but we don't. There's a whole bunch of factors that go into a patient's risk of developing a surgical site infection. And right now, while there is some weak evidence that maybe negative pressure wound therapies could reduce surgical site infections at time of C-section, the bulk of the data is just not there. And they definitely don't seem to reduce the rate of seroma, hematoma, or wound dehiscence. Like we said, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. As always, thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.